had a extension here, and uh, and all the all that uh, goes with that, and uh, which we appreciated very very much. And uh, one of the things that's a blessing about the work of God is you do meet some of the most special people. And uh, when you're traveling like we did to the missionaries, you know, I want to tell you something. We found out that most, most every missionary that we, and like I say, we went 75 times to, to uh, 12 different countries. So we got into the jungles, we got into the deserts, we got in third world countries, second, I mean, and we got a good look at, uh, in, in, in Zaire, which is now called the Congo, uh, we, that was one of the uh, trips I made, and we went a thousand, thousand miles back in the interior, and uh, rode in a Cessna plane, landed in the middle of the jungle, and they had hidden jet fuel, and they had to roll out the barrels and refuel the plane, and then we got off and flew up, flew up and tried to, when they got to the area where we're supposed to land, there's a cloud cover, the next thing you know, they're flying all over real low, and every, they dip down underneath the clouds, and there's those treetops, and uh, man, here I am, I'm sitting there sweating away, I said, man, I'm coming to heaven, and everything, but uh, got to meet some of the most precious, precious people in the world, missionaries, and so on, and then, you know, uh, one of the sad things in America, we do have some preachers that flew, uh, you know, just made a mess of their lives, mess of their ministry. And it's, and it's really too bad that they get, the, they get the renown because most of the men of God I know are men who love God, love their people, and are in love with the ministry and want to serve Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I thank God as I look back in my life and uh, see so many, so many good, godly uh, Christians and godly preachers here that I can fellowship. You, you know, I, he said we haven't seen each other long, and really haven't. In fact, we didn't even talk a lot on the phone. And uh, and we also share, you know, Bob Hammond was, was vice president of our Bible college and one of my closest, dearest friends and uh, so on. So there's a lot of his friends are my friends. But you know what a real friend is? You know what real friendship is? Real friendship does not need to, need to be maintained. It's non-maintenance. I get I got preachers. For instance, uh, uh, let's say I don't, I don't hear from Brother Gilmore for six months out of a year, and I'll call him and say, "Hey, how you doing?" He well, "How you doing?" Everything. He wants to say, "Well, you call yourself a friend. How come you don't call? You never ever come by." And then there's none of that. None of that. It's non-maintenance. We don't have to do anything to be friends. We don't have to be anything to be friends. They don't have to do anything to be friends. See. And I thank God for the preacher because that's what he's done. I mean, he's he, so kind to say nice things about me, but you really need to reverse it and realize that he has just been a tremendous friend and, uh, and uh, so on. And I thank God for him. And I really thank his wife. Don't tell her wife. You know, she, you know, she'll get a big head and everything. You start talking about big. But I'll tell you what, I think she is a tremendous Christian woman as well as a wife and a, and a, and a, a mother in this in this family and I thank God for her and uh, she's taking good care of the preacher amen and uh, so I thank God for it um, now I want to preach a message uh, actually it's not what the Lord I thought the Lord was putting on my heart but I knew uh, when you when you preach a long time after a while you, you start learning some things at least you're supposed to and uh, I felt felt like the Lord wanted me to preach on something and, uh, but sometimes God does that, and uh, he, he, 
then changes it. I've never had God just in the middle of preaching or coming up to preach and change it right in front of me at that time, but uh, not very often. But um, one of the reasons is because most churches like this are well taught. Well taught. This is a good man. This preacher, this preacher is a preacher of the Word of God. He's given his life to preach and teach the Word of God. So what can I, what can I say? What can I do? And everything. But I have to believe God that God has for me the message for thee. Okay? And I have to just go at it as though and no, you didn't know a thing. Can I give you a can I give you a spiritual tip on your Bible reading and Bible listening? Okay, uh, you know this is a, this precious book, the Word of God, and this is a King James Bible. And I I believe if you do not have a King James Bible, you do not have a Bible. Okay, but this is a Bible, and it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Amen. And and I believe it to be that. And, uh, but the thing about this Bible, it's a revelation. God, this is a revelation. God gave his word and it's real and it's his word, see? Now, you do not, you do not discover truth because this Bible is a revelation. God reveals truth. Have you ever had a preacher preach and he gives a little nugget and you go, oh man, that is good. And the Holy Spirit just takes that verse or whatever that word or whatever he's studying and lights it in your soul. See, you, he didn't discover it. You didn't discover it. God revealed it to you. And God's business with this business of preaching and listening is for you to open your heart, listen to the word of God so that God can reveal truth to you. Now listen to this. Truth revealed to you, uh, truth given to you does not lead to a confrontation with God. It is a confrontation with God. God wants to, God wants to have a confrontation with you. God wants to meet with you here in this place while the preaching the Word of God. And God wants to take that Bible, the Word of God, and reveal truth to you. See? And uh, that truth comes to you as a revelation. You're not going to discover it. I, 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 I read my Bible. And I, oh, look at that. And I underline it and scribble it out and do what I'm going to do to it. Say, look what I just discovered. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. This is a revelation. And when God reveals something to you, even in the preaching, when your preacher preaches something and it comes to you in your heart and you say, oh, my. That's a revelation. God revealed himself. And guess what? The Bible says that's what changed Moses. Remember when Moses had a, had a glow about his face? He come down off the mountain and he had this glow on his face. He had to put a, he had to put a mask on. He had to put a, a, a thing over his face. Why? Because of the glow of being with God, that, that being, having God reveal himself to him over and over. And uh, you and I need to recognize that, that. And that's what Paul said, by the way, he meant when he said we go from glory to glory. See, God wants you to uh, receive and see that revelation of truth. God wants to take that truth and put it in your life and change your life with it. And uh, you make a commitment to it. And that's supposed to change your life. And so, therefore, I receive truth. I walk in that truth. Guess what God does? He gives me another truth. He reveals to me another truth. So I'm walking now from truth to truth to revelation to revelation. See? But here's what happened. Uh, I step out and, 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 and the preaching comes to my ears and my heart and I hear it and I go, uh-oh, uh-oh. And I rebel against it. 
and just might as well get yourself a big tent, put it on you, because you're going to stay there for a while. You're, going to, you're not going to have God revealed, and you're going to dry up like a vine, because God wants to give you truth, but he wants to reveal it to you. And uh, so uh, that's, why, that's why even the youngest preacher, even the, a preacher who just maybe is preaching his first sermon, I don't, can't tell you how many times I've heard young, young people, young men, preach their first sermon, you know. And so I remember my boy preached his first sermon and uh, so on. And it's exciting and so on to see because they, that truth, and it's simple, and it's new to him, though. He's received it, and he, ah, man, that is any good. So he preaches it if it's the greatest truth ever been written, which may be true, I don't know, and so on. And that's the excitement about preaching and teaching and being in God's service and being around preachers and around the preaching order of God as God wants to reveal to you. So with that in, in mind, I want you to take your Bible and go to 1 Peter, the first chapter. I'm not going to give you anything, but I want to, uh, for some reason, the Lord really, uh, I, I've been testing the Lord in, in prayer ever since we sat down in here that God wanted me to do this because I don't want to misfire. Uh, I, want to, I want to preach what God wants me to preach. Um, but this is something, you, it, this will not be new to you. I'm, I, I, I assure you, your pastor has taught you some of this. But I, I, there's some things that I believe the Lord had me teach you or to look into uh, for your life. Um, uh, how many of you have ever gone through, in your Christian experience, going back to when you're saved, how many of you have had a time of doubt or you, you, you really, really had to go back and examine your salvation. By the way, that is not wrong. In fact, he commands us in Second Timothy, I mean Second Corinthians thirteen five, to examine yourself whether it be in a faith. I, I personally have never doubted my salvation. I have questioned my salvation. I've examined my, but even in examining him, I never said, mm, "I wonder if I'm saved." I wonder, oh my, oh, what, what if that's true? Maybe I'm not saved. I have never done that. But there's a lot of people that, that have gone through that. And then let me ask you this question. How many of you believe, know or you or you know somebody who believes they can lose their salvation? A lot of people believe that. Yeah. And uh, first of all, uh, you can't lose it. Amen. You can't lose your salvation. That's a misnomer, see, and uh, so on. But uh, what, what I want you to get out of this truth tonight, what I'm going to teach you, is that you, you and I need to recognize that salvation comes from the Lord. The salvation is the Lord's business, not yours and not mine. We, I, I knocked on the door. In fact, Linda was with me up in Cokesville. And, um, and uh, I knocked on the door, and we were knocking doors. Well, actually, I, we came to a house, and there was a man standing up on the steps uh, uh, a little bit above the streets, and he was up there, and I howled him, how you doing? And Linda and I stopped, and, and uh, I... I took a couple of steps up the, st up the stairways to talk to him. And, and uh, when I got up there, I started talking about the Lord. And we chit-chatted for a while. And I said, I'd like to ask you a question. He said, sure. I said, if you died today, right now, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? He said, yes, sir. I said, well, praise the Lord. And I said, why do you, why, what makes you so sure? What, what, where, where are you, what are you trusting in? To get, to get to heaven. He looks at him and says, well, I'm doing the best I can. I said, if you could do the best you can, why did Jesus die? Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
If you could join a church and get to heaven, why did Jesus die? If if you could get to heaven any other way than him alone, who who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. If he's the only way, why did Jesus die? That's why he died, so that you and I could be saved. And uh, in this business, you know, when you go back into the Bible, a lot of people think in the Old Testament, people were saved by works. No, they're saved by grace. I say by grace. And where people get all fuddled up in their salvation and begin to doubt their salvation is because they, in their mind, they start digging and searching to find why they believe they're saved. They say, well, I was seven years old. I was in a vacation day Bible school. Like, like one time, and this happened. Uh, this, this person told me this. said, um, well, when I was nine years old, I was in a vacation day Bible school. And... Uh, uh, the, the evangelist was holding the, the, the Vacation Day Bible School, said, how many want to go to heaven? And I raised my hand. And he says, uh, uh, so then he asked us to pray and ask Jesus in, in, in my heart. He said, and the young man said, that's what I did. I asked Jesus into my heart. Now, the problem was, is can you really get saved by just asking Jesus in your heart? I'm not going to preach now, but I'll give you something to think about. The Bible says, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Everyone that believes. The only way, if there was a nine-year-old boy or eight-year-old boy or girl standing here and they want to get saved, the only way they could get saved is by believing the gospel. Okay, what's the gospel? Christ died for my sins according to scriptures. So, oh, oh, you mean they're supposed, to, they're supposed to have some kind of idea about sin in their life? Well, that's what the gospel is. The gospel of Christ died for your sins. If he doesn't have to die for his sins, what's he getting saved for? No, he's, he's got to be saved. He's got to repent of his sins. He's got to understand. I had a, a bus worker one time bring a seven-year-old boy to me. He had been witnessing to him. And I was, we were out bus calling and so on, and I was there. So he came over and got me and brought me this little seven-year-old boy. And uh, he said, uh, can, you, can you lead him to the Lord? He wants to be saved. And well, I, you know, I said, well, okay, sure, I'd be glad to. So I talked to him a few minutes. I said, what's your name? He told me. I said, can I ask you a question, son? I said, what is sin? He, and this is the truth. This is it. He went, uh, does it grow in the grass? Do you think he? Do you think I was going to write it? To bite your head now, because you, you can you, you can pray and get saved. Why? See, so a lot of people, so a lot of people are confused because, first of all, they're probably not saved. If they really question their salvation, they probably are not saved. That's what I found out. See, and you can't twist their arm, and you can't get them to believe something, and you can't make them believe it. And if they, if they themselves do not come to a place in their heart through the word of God, through the word of God, believe the gospel and trust Christ, they're not going to get saved. See? But I want you to look at 1 Peter, the first chapter, and I want you to look at verse number 18 and 19. Okay? It says, For as much as you know that you were, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Watch this now. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, uh, but was manifest in these last times for you, 
All right, I want you to notice here it says that he said that the lamb, Jesus Christ was a lamb before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God here. Okay, now here, here's, here's here, God the Father wants people to save. He's always wanted people to be saved. And, he, and he, in his grace and his love for them, he knew that they had to be redeemed. They, 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 the, the sin that we have haven't had in our life needs to be forgiven and cleansed. We need to be cleansed. The only thing that God will cleanse that sin with is the blood of his son. The only thing. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ shed his blood and Jesus Christ's blood is what washed away our sins. So I, he loves me and in, in, in his love for me, he by his grace and his love for me sent his son and his son came to die for me. And he's called the Lamb of God here. He came before the foundation of the world. And so Jesus Christ is the one who has, is the Savior, and he's the one who redeemed us. Now, I just talked to a guy this last week, I'll call it not so winning, and, and, uh, and, and he, he, was, he was talking about the fact that, uh, you know, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't saved and so on like that. So I, I said to him, in essence, I said, well, wait a minute now. Uh, if, 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 you, if you don't get saved and you don't trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, and I didn't say it crass or smart or, you know, anything, but I said, you realize you're going to die and go to hell? You realize that God loved you and you, 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 you say you're going to go to heaven because you're a pretty good guy? Are you willing to, are you willing to tell God the Father that when you get to heaven? I ask him this. I ask, when you get to heaven and you stand there, you think at the judgment of God, you think God the Father is going to be pleased if you say, no, I didn't trust your son. I didn't give a whit about that. I did this. I tried to do some good things for you. You think he's going to really appreciate that? The fact that he sent his son to die for him, shed his blood for him, go through the cross of Calvary? And he says, no, I don't want anything to do with that. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll go to church for you, God. See, and so people, people, they don't understand salvation. They don't understand that they don't have a choice except a choice. <laughs> Double talk, I know. They don't have a choice. There's no other way that a person can be saved except through Jesus Christ and by faith in him. Now, let me, let me see, if I can, see if I can bring this around to you. When you look at the, the blood of Jesus Christ, now, first of all, let me say this. First of all, it says here, lamb before the foundation here. Let, let me just use your imagination. Let's have a sanctified imagination illustration here. All right? I'm going to take this, this. I got this string, magic string in my hand, and I'm going to throw it behind me as far as I go, and that that string keeps going for forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's all of eternity past. Then I take it here and I throw it into the future. And there goes that line and there it goes forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Well, as far as God's concerned, Jesus Christ was a lamb who was slain before the foundation. We don't even know how long that was. We don't know how long ago that was. And uh, so Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God, shed his blood. As far as God's concerned, it's been done from before the foundation of the earth. See? And uh, now, it's interesting because you see the blood now. This, here's the blood of the Lamb, and it's in foundation. It has to do with the past, all right? Eternity past. Then if you go into the Bible and you study, you've come up to the place where, uh, where Abel and Cain, 
They had a big fight. What was it over? The blood. Cain, he wanted to bring the works of his flesh. He wanted to bring garden. He wanted to bring the produce. He wanted to be the first Amish to approach God, I guess. Uh-huh. And uh, so on. And, uh, and so he, he, he came. And, and, but Abel, he, it says he shed the blood of, a, of the flock. So he had little lambs. He probably learned that, don't you think, from his mom and dad in the garden. Where that's what God did for his parents. But Abel, uh, he, he, he's got that blood. So now we see not only the blood of the lamb from eternity past, but we have the blood for an individual. Here's an individual going to get saved. Now, if you go a little bit further than that, you come to, in the history of the, of the blood, you come to the, to the uh, uh, Passover. You know, in the Passover, uh, the men of the house would go outside the house and they'd take the blood and they, they'd splatter the blood upon the doorpost and the lentils uh, 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 on the outside. And uh, the Passover angel, which was the Lord, would come by and if he saw the blood, if he saw the blood, that family would escape judgment. So now we see the blood being shed for a family. That's why I told one of the reasons I it was thinking, it reminds you about this morning when I talked about my family, my first wife and her, her family and, and my family, 28 on one side, 29 on the other side. They got saved. And I found out that the Savior was also for my family. See, So we have the blood for eternity past. We have the blood here for an individual. And now we have a blood for a family. But it's not in there because Isaiah 53rd chapter talks about the nation of Israel and the lamb that came and, uh, and was, was slaughtered, it says. And here Jesus Christ came for a nation. So he shed his blood for a nation. Then you go a little bit further in the Bible, you come to John 1, 29, where John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So now we see that the Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. Oh, it doesn't end there. We go to Revelation, the fourth chapter, we find Jesus sitting on the throne. And Jesus is there in the midst of the throne and then all that activity with the Father and so on in that throne. And, and this is now the Lamb of God in eternity path forward. So we have the Lamb of God. Now here's something I want you to think about before we go home. There are three views, three ways to look at the blood. Or three opinions, three concepts, three ideas. Okay? First of all, well, I want you to re- know this. That God is 100% satisfied with the blood. 100% satisfied with the blood of his son for the forgiveness of sin. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. See, listen to me now. The blood was shed primarily for God, not for you. You and I are the recipients of his grace and his love and the power of the blood because of what God thinks about the blood. God was 100. See, the real truth is, in order for us to have a Savior, we had to have a Savior who would satisfy God's righteousness. We couldn't have a dirty Savior. We couldn't have a Savior that was full of sin. Okay? And, uh, and we needed a Savior that would satisfy, satisfy God's wrath. Every sin had to be paid for. Every sin had to be dealt with. Every sin had to be washed away. Every sin, you see. So we now have to have a, we have to have a, 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 a Savior that satisfied God's justice. See, Cause, and that's what Jesus is doing. And remember when he's on the cross, what was the last thing he said when he died? He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. 
He said, it is finished. What do you mean? Everything that needed to do to save somebody was done. Jesus Christ accomplished it. See, he paid us. He paid for us. He bought us. We're bought with a price. Are you, you know that? You're bought with a price? Did God get all he paid for? Hmm? Now, so God, and I can prove that to you when I say he, he himself, God the Father, was 100% satisfied. It was primary for him. Let's go back and uh, let's go to the uh, Passover. All right. Here's the Father. He's got the blood. It's on a hyssop. He goes outside the house. And he takes the blood on the outside of the house. And it's at night. And he puts the blood on the doorpost. Now, if you put a line, what do you got? Cross. And the blood is put on the outside. So uh, where were the people at? They're inside. They couldn't see the blood. Now the blood that's going to be applied is on the outside. That's where God is because he comes by. And he sees the blood and is 100% satisfied. 100% satisfied. Everything's okie dokie with God. No judgment, see. And uh, then I think about the Day of Atonement. It's kind of interesting. Uh, the high priest... He's going to offer a sacrifice for the, his sins and the sins of all of Israel. So he brings two goats. He has two goats brought to him. And he then puts his hands upon the head of each of those goats one at a time, steps back, puts some, transferring the burden of his body to the head of that goat. That's, a, that's showing the transferring a burden of sin and guilt to the sacrifice. And, uh, he, and he prays and asks God to forgive him of that sin. And he split his, slit his throat. And he sprinkles the blood upon the altar and upon that. And he put it on his right thumb and his right ear and his right toe. See? And uh, the, uh, then they do the same thing with another. It's called a scapegoat. This one is to be taken out into the wilderness. It's a picture of our sins being taken away in the deepest part of the sea. It's, their sins are gone, 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 gone. And so Jesus Christ is all pictured in his salvation, pictured in that, that atonement. Now that blood that was shed there was taken into the Holy of Holies, into the, into the tabernacle, and in the tabernacle was the mercy seat, and that mercy seat was a box overlaid with gold, and that's where God would receive the blood. So that high priest would take the blood of that goat, which represents a sinner, and goats are sinners, right? So represent you and I. And he then takes that blood and sprinkles it upon that mercy seat, which shows that his blood is cleansing away that sin. See? And so, but where were the people at? The people were way out, you know, yonder. They, most of them, they couldn't see that lamb. I, I thought about this. If I took you, if you came up uh, to Pennsylvania, met me up there, and I took you to downtown Philadelphia, to the place where the bell is, you know, the... the, the Freedom Bell, and, uh, and I was going to take you there. You and I would come to a place where they had a big, almost like a huge patio uh, of open pavement. And that's kind of a place where the people can, can come and, and uh, gather. And uh, they can come up to the building. It's made, it's got made of glass now, I think. And they can see the bell. Now, if I was to stand out in front of that house with that bell and, and kill a goat, slit its throat, shed its feet, uh, shed its blood. And, every, and, and people were there and they crowded in. How many, how many really think could be able to see that? Ooh, what's he doing? What is that? What's he got in it? They, they would not be able to see. See, and that's the same with the blood. The people didn't go into the mercy seat. They didn't go in the presence of God and the high priest because it wasn't primarily for them. 
it was. And so therefore, uh, the, 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 the atonement would be made, but the people, most of them didn't even see that, which is, you didn't see it, it almost 2,000 years ago. You didn't see the blood. See, the blood, you're not just a recipient of the grace and wonderful love of God through that blood, because God's purpose for that blood, see. And uh, you and I, we, we never saw that blood. Huh? Uh, I think about also when Jesus was on the cross of Calvary. The Bible says it grew dark. I believe it grew dark all over the world. The Ophrysies in Egypt said either God is dying or the world's coming to an end. Well, he was pretty close. God was dying. See, God was dying for them. Now, in the darkness there, Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was separated from his father. So he suffered death on the cross of Calvary. And he cried out on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou... Uh, uh, huh? Yes. And so uh, now the blood was primary for God. God saw that. God heard that. You didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. We never saw the blood. Now we do know the blood is taken up into heaven. There will be time in heaven when you and I get there. We're going to see the blood and it's going to be there for eternity. But the blood was primary for God. God was 100% satisfied. So if you examine your life, don't try and put your works up with the blood of Christ. Don't try and match in your life. It's almost, in fact, it is blasphemy for you and I to try and take our little pitiful things we, we think we can do to, to help salvation. It's pitiful. And it's going to blaspheme God. God's not going to be impressed about it because you're trying to say something is more important than the blood of his son. See? So in, in God's view, God says, I'm satisfied with the blood of Christ. I'm not satisfied. I thank, thank you for going to church. Thank you for reading your Bible. Thank you for being a witness. Thank you for serving. Thank you for preaching. Thank you. But you're not coming to heaven because of those. You're here because of my grace and my love for you based upon, uh, see, the Bible says in Romans, the third chapter, that we have been justified, justified by the blood of Christ. To be justified is God's, to, and here's what God did. God judicially declares that if you believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your personal savior and trust in him, God will cleanse you and forgive you and you will be justified. And that's exactly what you are. You are justified in the sight of God. I'm justified, never sin. All my sins are gone. All my sins are gone. All your sins are gone. See? And uh, don't go and try and dig them up. Don't try and go fishing and find them. You're not going to get them. See? And God wants you to know that he, he did everything that needed to be done for salvation. Now, here's another view. Here's a view. That was, God, that was God's view. There's another view called man's view. That's our view. Simply stated, your view, my view, must be the same as God's view. God, in fact, God, you know that God doesn't give you any opinion, don't give me any opinions. God didn't say, well, Fred, what do you think about that? <laughs> I didn't do that. <coughs> uh, I, I, um, years and years ago, I was in Michigan. I pastored in Michigan for 14 years. And uh, I ended up resigning my church and going out to Indiana. And I took a church out in Indiana. Uh, and uh, I didn't even, didn't even get my 90 days in that church. I tell everybody I left for health reasons. They were sick of me. <laughs> uh, but uh, when, I, when I was pastoring up in Michigan, before I went there, uh, the, the church was a large church. The church was running about 1,700. 
And uh, man, and it, we had 26 buses, 10 pastoral staff members. The thing was humming, really growing and going. Started a Bible college and so on. So, uh, and, and this was in 1974. Well, the church bought me a car. And uh, it was a 1972 Oldsmobile. Nice car, you know. They had Oldsmobile 88, and what's the other, 98? It was the big one anyway. And uh, I felt kind of funny driving it, but it's a big church, so I did. Well, when I resigned there and ended up going down there, uh, I met with the deacons, and we talked about, uh, you know, this is after, after they had voted me in and all that, so we sat down to talk about the finances and budgets and all that, and my salary. I wouldn't let them talk about it before that. I didn't want them to influence me in any way by what they were going to give or not give. And uh, so we, we were just talking about, uh, uh, I said, now, when, when we, when I, when I, uh, I forget how it happened, but I was going to have a meeting with them so that the, the song leader in that church, this is the first Baptist church, and the, and the guy that was leading the singing was a, was a uh, vice president of a bank. So I, and he was a deacon. So I asked the deacons, who signs the papers if we're going to get this? Because I got to get this car. I got to get this car out of the church's name because they, they had a, they had a uh, note on it. And I said, we need to get that out of there and get it here. And uh, we need to take over that because they agreed to do that. See? And I said that when I did that, they, they also decided to pray. You know, no, they just ducked their head. They didn't want to. And they said, we didn't know we're going to get your car. Get your car. I said, okay, all right. So I'm in Mississippi. Okay, we're not. I didn't say anything. But they did promise me that. So I just, I just started hoofing. It was a real small town anyway. So I walked everywhere for almost two weeks before they recognized that their pastor didn't have a car. And I, I couldn't afford it I, if they, because it was a pretty big payment on a pretty big car and I didn't have the money and I wasn't going to go in debt. I'm not going in debt. So next thing I know, I, my pastor that I was saved under July 2nd, 1961, had come on staff and now I was my pastor's pastor. Try that on for size. Take, take your the pastor and be the pastor's pastor. Anyhow, uh, we made a razor for him to come down and get the uh, car. So he came down and got the car. So I'm walking around town and everything. And then all of a sudden, they started finding, well, what's going on? What's going on? So I, I told him, I said, well, I mean, there was a big misunderstanding, but they, do, they knew it wasn't and so on. And I said, so I, I can't afford that car. So they just didn't say anything except uh, the next service they came up and handed me a check for $1,000. Said, go buy a car. We'll get it one for about 25, this is in 74. Said, get one for about $2,500. And he says, and, uh, and he says, uh, and then we can go to Don and get the paper signed and all that. Okay. So I said, why didn't he just, why didn't he just buy the car I had? Why didn't he just pay for that? So I just scratched my head and so on. Well. And the next thing I know, they, uh, on a Sunday night, I'm getting ready to get, uh, close the service out. I already preached, giving the invitation, getting ready to leave. And uh, they, Deacons got up and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor. So they, one of them had come to get the keys to the car before the service. I said, I'm going to fill my car up. <laughs> wow, was I just... 
So anyhow, uh, the deacons came up and they had the keys to the car in their hand and they had some papers in their hand. And they, they told the church, you know, the preacher, you know, he needs a car and, and you know, we ought to, we ought to take, take care of that. And da, 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 da. So they handed me the keys and they handed with the keys the payment book. The payment book. Did they buy me a car? No, they put a down payment. They didn't pay for that car. They put a down payment on it. That was not paid in full. They could not go stamp paid in full to telestai. That's the Greek word for that. Paid in full. They couldn't do that. And so on. And so now I've got a car and payments. Some people believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross, died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he was buried and rose again. And now their past sins are gone, but they have to now, they have to keep right with their future sins, and they have to, and they have to work to keep that, you know. It's like they're saying, Jesus made the down payment. I'm making the payments on my salvation. Now, if you think that, you need to stop thinking of it, because that's not true. You're not going to heaven on a down payment. The Bible says Jesus washed away all of our sins. They're all gone, see. And so man now, you and I need to recognize that God, just like God was satisfied, I must be satisfied. So Fred, why are you going to heaven? I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me and shed his blood for me. I'm going to heaven because of God's grace. I'm going to heaven because God forgave me. I'm going to heaven because I was his child. I can list everything else that he's done for me. But he did it by his grace through Jesus Christ. See? And so uh, I, I have to do like God did. I'm satisfied. 100% satisfied. I've been saved now since July 2nd, 1961. I believe that's about 60 or 61 years that I've been saved and washed in the blood. And I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. I'm going to heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. See? Now there's one other view. Now you have God's view. Got Matthew's view. The third view is a Satan, devil, the devil's view. What do you think the devil thinks about the blood? Do you think the blood, do you think, I mean, the, the, the devil uh, knows, do you think he knows that it's, the blood satisfies God? Do you think he understands the atonement? Do you think he understands that the blood was shed that washed away our sins? Do you think he, he, do you think he knows that you also believe somehow that you have to do something to get to heaven? You have to work your way to get there. See, not by the works of righteousness in which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. See, and you need to be regenerated. Did you ever look at that word regenerated? R-E-G-E-N-E-R-A-T-I-O-N, regeneration. You know, it's interesting in the last, I don't know how many years they've been talking about DNA and so on. And I know and you know that we are made up of DNA. We, we, we're gene. Every, everything about us, color of eyes, how tall we are, everything about us is in our genes. I don't mean the genes like this. I'm talking about genes. And, uh, that, and that's the way we were genes. We were gened like we, we are the color we are and tall as we are and everything because of the genes. See? And, uh, and so, therefore, there are people, who, people but they're gened with a, with a uh, corrupt Nature, they're corrupt. We're all corrupt. We're sinners, see, and so on. But the real truth is, God wants to save us and regenes us, regenerates us, regenes us. God gives us a new birth and changes our life, and that comes as a result because of God the Father who loved us and foreordained that we should be like Jesus. 
See, it's all done by him, for him, by him. And you and I are the recipients of his grace. And that's why the preachers get, you know, try to give us an opportunity to praise the Lord and worship the Lord and thank him for something. Man, we ought to be to our, stand to our feet. All we say is, you know, I thank God I got saved. Because God loves us. It's all because of the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I thank God that God was good and merciful and kind to me and to all of us and gave his son to die for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your shed blood, Lord. Thank you. And uh, Lord, we, we need to give you honor and glory and praise for it, and we do. Amen. You stand your feet to preach your